Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. My name is Rob Lamb. And my name is Joe McCormick. And today's movie is a 1991 Japanese film called Zayram, or <laughs> maybe better to say Zayram. Uh, because the the Zayram really sounds like the Tennessee take on the, the name of the <laughs> alien in this film. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, what do you know? This is our very first space bounty hunter movie. And I, I think I'll have to be honest and say that Zayram is not the most scintillating movie I have ever seen, but it has a really great central monster, as it, is a, it has a fun bounty hunter, and it is light years beyond the quality of the other main space bounty hunter title in my mental database, which is also from 1991 and is called Abraxas Guardian of the Universe. Rob, have you seen this one with Jesse the Body Ventura? I have. I believe I watched the Rift Tracks version of it, uh, and I, I remember it being bad, and I definitely remember the two principal cast members. Abraxas uh, goes way back. Like, when I very first started getting into B-movies in, like, high school, you know, when my friends and I were going to the uh, to like the used book and, and, and DVD store and digging through their like trash pile to see what we mm-hmm. could find. This is one of the ones we dug up. So it's got Jesse, the body Ventura as the space bounty hunter. And it's got Sven Ole Thorson, who you might know from, Oh, I don't know. Uh, he was in Conan, I think. Uh, and they're running oh, yeah, around yeah. some, yeah, yeah. They're, they're running around some town in Ontario and, uh, Sven is the, is the fugitive. And I recall he keeps grabbing people and asking them if they know how to compute the anti-life equation. <laughs> oh yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Sven shows up in a number of different Arnold movies. He was kind of like part of the, the ensemble, uh, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but then eventually starts showing up, uh, you know, doing solo projects as well. Do you think they originally wanted Arnold for Abraxas, but he, I don't know, went on to do I, Terminator 2 or something? <laughs> I can't imagine Arnold was ever in talks for Abraxas. I think, I, I, I think this, this project uh, was, was in a, a different orbit entirely. But hey, a space bounty hunter can be a lot of fun because, okay, so, you know, you have like two parties arrive from other worlds. Now they're here on Earth and there's already a chase going on. So like, you know, it's not like you have to get to that part. Once they're here, one is already in pursuit of the other. And that's a good setup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In general, the bounty hunter uh, scenario makes for good fiction, uh, especially when, uh, you know, cause you can do the, the same thing. Like who's this mysterious individual chasing this other mysterious individual? Uh, well, you're going to have to explain it to the bystanders and they become part of the, 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 the whole plot. Uh, but yeah, throw in space and aliens and you've, you've got yourself a, a winning formula. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I like about Zayram is that it's a pretty simple formula. They don't, they, they they get into a fair amount of complexity with the monster itself, but in terms of the basic plotting, uh, and to a certain extent the world building, they keep it simple. Um, <laughs> this is a movie yeah. where the, the title is the name of the monster, uh, so you know it's going to be monster-centric. There's extremely little plot in this movie. Yeah. But what, what it lacks in, uh, in story complexity, I, I would say it somewhat makes up for in the form of the, the far more interesting than Sven Oli Thorson fugitive, uh, which is an elegantly haberdashed bipedal star beast who has so many now I reveal my true form moments. Uh, I, I lost count of them. Like every time it now I reveal my true forms, there, there's mm-hmm. another one coming. 
That's right. Um, my son walked in and watched part of this with me uh, because because uh, this this is ultimately a pretty pretty harmless movie. It's got a little bit of little bit of uh, monster blood and monster grossness in it and some sci fi weapon fire, but for the most part, pretty wholesome. Uh, so he was watching part of this and he was he was at least acting a little exasperated he was into the monster designs but he's like haven't they almost killed this thing like six times <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah they, they have um <laughs> luckily it finally sticks but um i'll tell you something else it sticks yeah this monster design sticks with you because i had never seen this film in its entirety but i caught i think i caught part of it uh, back in the 90s on the Sci-Fi channel. They had a, a dub version, I think they showed. And mm. it was one of those where, you know, who knows what else was going on, but I only caught just a glimpse of it, just enough to watch like one or two scenes with the title creature, this hulking, relentless alien bioweapon that, that, you know, that seems like this thoroughly unique amalgam of alarming features, uh, you know, which is, which is good in any monster because monsters are, are often this sort of amalgam. But it's a monster where its primary form, the one that gets the most screen time, it suggests elements of samurai and oni, uh, mushrooms and stingrays. You know, obviously, there's a little bit of xenomorph sprinkled in there. There's also a sense of the cyclops and just much, much more. Like, it seems like they've, they've added enough elements that it just becomes, uh, you know, unique feeling. Mm-hmm. And it also made an impression on me because at the time, I had not seen much in the way of Japanese cinema, especially, you know, sort of the bio-horror realm of Japanese cinema, you know, thinking of classics like uh, Akira or uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, But again, I didn't see the whole film. I forgot about this creature for the most part, but occasionally I would be reminded of him. And maybe it's because I've been watching uh, the the Boba Fett series with, with alien bounty hunters. Maybe that that made me think of him again. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, I need to look this film up. I need to see who this mysterious uh, um, uh, creature was and what this film uh, consisted of and give it a proper viewing. And and I would argue maybe you still don't know who this alien creature was because I don't <laughs> think the movie really addresses that question much. <laughs> no, we don't know really where he's from or what he did to have a bounty hunter chasing after him. I mean, he could be the good guy for all we know, though, Probably not. Um, so his his backstory is not really fleshed out. All we're really told is that he's he's essentially some sort of bioweapon. I'm going to buck expectations and argue that when it really comes down to it, much like the original Alien, Zayram is a movie about work and the workplace. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it's about a it's not really about human relationships. It's not really about good versus evil. It's really about people trying to do their jobs. So you have yep. a couple of power company guys who have a job to do. There are main human characters. And then you have your Xeno legal bounty hunter who has a job to do. Mm-hmm. And she's our main sort of you know superhuman hero. And the movie is essentially what happens when those two groups trying to do their jobs jam into each other at cross purposes. It's like, you know, when you see uh, a road partially blocked for digging on a pipe or something, and then there's a delivery driver who has to get through, but their truck won't fit the gap and they start arguing except add in space tentacles. Yeah. I I think, I think you're essentially right here. Um, I wonder what we're to make of the fact that Zeram itself is essentially a product uh, in in a humanoid form, you know, mm. uh, I don't know. Maybe there's nothing to be to be made of that, but uh, <laughs> cross cross my mind. Oh no, I can see it if he's a bioweapon. I mean, like much like you know, when it, when I watch Alien, uh, 
the movie raises lots of great questions and I love it. But one of, one of the ones I think people don't think about very often is I'm like, man, if like the Wayland Utani corporation had better workplace protections, like if they, <laughs> if they had better like union regulations in place or something, a mm-hmm. lot of this could have been avoided. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but probably all of it, but no, I mean, it's just like, it's a movie about work problems and this is kind of the same. It's like, why did these two electricians have to go into the warehouse to investigate the alien technology themselves? Couldn't they have called a supervisor to, to deal with this? Yeah, yeah, it seems like th- th- there should be more of a system in place. Shouldn't the police maybe get involved? I don't know. Yeah, you'd think so. All right, so the elevator pitch for Zayram, I feel like we've basically done it already. It's a uh, alien bounty hunter, alien bounty taking place uh on Earth, drawing Earthlings into the wild cosmic scenario. Did you did you say Earthlings? Did I? I don't know, Earthlings, Earthlings. Maybe oh, Earthlings uh, is a maybe slang I miss for Earthlings. <laughs> I like in it. this Earth universe. Ones. I'm just I'm expanding on the Zayram universe here already. All right. Okay. So who made Zayram? Oh, oh no, we gotta have some trailer first. Jeff. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry. Okay. Let's hear some trailer. The people of Earth are about to be visited by some guests. While they're here, try and make them feel welcome. If you can't take the heat, get out of the galaxy. Yeah, not not a great trailer, uh, my opinion. But that's the that's the English language trailer. The voiceover is a bit uh, a bit much, but um, we wanted to to have something for you that wasn't just explosion sounds. I mean, a big part of this movie is explosion sounds. Yes. Okay. So, who made this thing? All right, so the director, uh, one of the writers, and the character designer is Kita Amamiya. Uh, Amamiya has an illustration background, uh, born 1959. And I think the illustration background makes sense given just how visual this movie is. Like, this is a movie that's very much about, look at this. <laughs> uh, look at this monster. Look what happens when he has a costume change. Um, you know, the, the character design elements are very strong in this. I agree. So much so that there are even uh, moments of this movie that look like hand-drawn illustrations. Like there is an opening scene. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's, it might be my favorite part of the whole movie is the, the black and white silhouette opening sequence. Um, yeah. And when the the outline of Zayram is first revealed before we see any of the, you know, the, the surface detail, Zayram kind of looks like an illustration. He looks like a, a hand-drawn animation until it's revealed like, oh, no, this is somebody in a costume lit from behind. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a pretty great costume. It's one of these where Zayram generally feels enormous but has a very, you know, a very humanoid gait about him, very you know, humanoid dimensions. Uh, mm. I feel like it was very effectively done. Heavy footfalls. Zayram yes. likes to kind of clomp around on the floor. Yes. Now, Amamiya has done a lot of work in design and effects, including, uh, this is interesting, he was an effects animator on 1989's Gunhead, which we covered on Weird House in the past. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's also worked as a character designer for video games such as Clock Tower 3, which I believe I played that one back in the day on like PS2. Um, He was also involved in some uh, Onimusha titles. And uh, Zayram is very much his sort of his follow-up to his first full-length film, Cyber Ninja, from 1988, which I've not seen, but I uh, looked at some stills from it, uh, looked at at least one clip. It looks like a lot of fun, and there are also some really out-there monster designs in it. 
I have not seen it, but I will watch based on the title alone. <laughs> so uh, he would go on to direct a sequel, Zayram 2, in 1994. And there was also a spinoff animated series that seemed to have quite a following, Iria, Zirium the Bounty Hunter. He's worked a lot over the years, though, and uh, his filmography includes some common uh, writer films and what seems like dozens of titles in the film TV franchise Gero, uh, which, like these other titles, is a uh, tokusatsu or live-action special effects drama, uh, this time about a man in magical armor who has to protect humanity against the horrors, which I believe are some sort of demons. Now, Gero, I've seen, is, is sometimes described as a midnight uh, tokusatsu series as it yes contains like people and you know heroes in fancy armor or suits battling monsters but it apparently has darker elements for grown-ups and mm. is and it's such as is shown on tv like late at night uh Zayram, however is not midnight tokusatsu this is uh tokusatsu for the whole family again my nine-year-old son walked in and seemed to enjoy it and critiqued it a little bit yeah, I'd say the, probably the scariest thing in here is, uh, well, I mean, some shots of, of Zayram the monster have like uh, that, that scary face thing that comes out of it, which we can talk mm-hmm. about more. But uh, uh, probably the worst thing is that it like really bites the electrician's arm bad and leaves a big bloody welt. Uh, yeah. If you can deal with that, I think the movie's cool. Yeah. Um, now, with the neck, I want to hit uh, the other writing credit uh, on this, who is also the visual effects coordinator. And I think it becomes pretty obvious that we're kind of in pumpkinhead territory with this film. Uh, <gasps> this, is, this is a film you know, by special effects people okay. with very much a special effects design mentality that goes into it. So it's, it's monster first, it's visuals first, and maybe the actual plotting and acting and so forth uh, takes a backseat to all of that. Now, your Pumpkinhead comparison, that was directed by Stan Winston, right? Am I, am I right about that? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Uh, that, Stan Winston, of course, a, a legend of special effects. Yeah. Uh, not so much you know, a legendary director, um, mm-hmm. but, but he did get in there. He got in there with Pumpkinhead in 1988. And he, I think he, did, he directed mostly some other short stuff. Uh, he directed a film titled A Gnome Named Norm from 1990 that I'd never heard of until just now. And he did some video shorts. But yeah, Pumpkinhead was his chance to really get in there and show what he could do. And it's mostly about a really cool monster. You got some Lance Hendrickson in there too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an okay horror movie. It's it's a great looking horror movie. Also featuring Dick Warlock. Oh, yes. Okay, so anyway, back to back to Zayram. Uh, writing credit and visual effects coordinator goes to Hajime Matsumoto. As a writer, they only worked on the Zerium movies and three other titles, but Matsumoto has primarily worked in special effects, including some Godzilla movies, 1995's Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, which I, which I love. That's a really fun one with a lot of like cute Gamera when he's little mm-hmm. and then he becomes your, your you know, expected Gamera. Is this um, the second movie we've mentioned in this episode called Guardian of the Universe with the subtitle yes. Guardian of the <laughs> Universe? <laughs> yeah, oh, man, that sets up a perfect sequel idea. Gamera versus Abraxas. They got to duke it out <laughs> and figure out which one is the real Guardian. Oh, it's got to be Gamera. I'm gonna. I vote Gamera every time, um, especially over over Ventura. But um, well, let's see. Oh yeah, but Matsumoto uh, was also uh, also involved in the special effects on 1998's Ring, uh, the the original uh, uh, Japanese Ring upon which the American film The Ring was based. He also mm. worked on some of the Ring sequels. He worked on Spiral, and he worked on The Grudge, both the Japanese version and the American remake. 
All right, but we would not have a space bounty hunter movie without our space bounty hunter. So who who plays this all important character? It is uh, Yuko Moriyama uh, playing Iria the Bounty Hunter. Uh, she was born in 1968, Japanese actor. This was her first role, apparently. And she went on to do the sequel, some TV. She was in Reborn from Hell 2. And it looks like she retired from acting between 2000 and 2004 and possibly went into some sort of education field. For some reason, I, I, I usually just like to see that. I mean, assuming yeah. it wasn't caused by some bad experience or something when somebody's just like, okay, I was acting for a while. No, I'm, I'm career change. I'm going to do something else. Yeah, based on the limited English uh, information I could find about it, it sounds like she just like she she eventually found her calling somewhere else. So yeah, more power to her. Uh, now, as we talked about, this movie doesn't place a lot of dramatic demands on its actors, but I'd say she's good. Uh, she 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 fills this role quite well. She she wears the power armor. She does uh, mm-hmm. uh, good fight scenes. She has a good uh, determined stare when facing down the monster. Th- thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, solid action performance. Uh, you know, she comes off as a badass, and uh, and and unlike her her AI helper Bob, she's 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 kind of reckless. She's relentless. She's like yes. she's got to get her bounty. While while Bob, the AI, is more concerned about you know how this is going to affect their license. Oh yeah, <laughs> their indeed, license. Do they do they have the actual permit to use this particular super weapon against the alien and stuff like that? Oh my god, that interminable argument at the beginning about the zone and whether using a zone will cause them to forfeit some percent of the bounty and <laughs> See, we'll maybe get to we that. should we should have had more of that. It could have been the um the, the Shin Godzilla of uh, of alien bounty hunter films. Oh, that would be a good idea. All right, so two earthlings or earthlings, if you will, get get sucked into <laughs> this uh this whole situation. And uh, the first of them we'll start with is, uh, I believe his name is uh, Tep- Tepe, I'm sorry. Tepe, I, I think. Tepe, Tepe, the, the handsome electrician. Um, unknown age, this uh, character was played by Kunihiro Ida, and um, very limited credits on this guy. He was in both the Zayram movies, doesn't seem to have been active in a, in a long time. But then the other electrician, who's our funny electrician, our kind of obnoxious electrician, because, you know, that's kind of how you know, your duo should go in a right. film like this. Uh, this is Kamiya, and he is played by Yukihiro uh, Hotaru, uh, born in 1951. Uh, Hotaru is very active still today, mostly on Japanese television. He made a career for himself initially playing detectives, usually in Japanese pink films. This is a, a broad category of erotic films in Japanese cinema uh, with some particularly sleazy titles, but he seems to have gradually crossed over into mainstream sci-fi and horror as well, uh, ultimately starring at, or at least acting in a number of TV shows, even kids' films. He worked in that Garo series uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, so, uh, yeah, and you can see, you can ultimately see why, because uh, he has a, he has a very charismatic face. He's pull, constantly pulling funny, weird faces in this mm-hmm. film. So you can see why uh, an actor like this would be sort of your go-to for sort of uh, you know wonky character uh, roles. Uh, you know, certainly in recent decades. Yeah, he's doing a, a zany Jim Carrey kind of thing. Yeah. And we we usually mention the music, so I'll go ahead and say that uh, Hirokazu Ota is credited with the music. Uh, the score is a bit much in places for my taste, uh, but it's pretty effective in other places. Um, this individual also scored the film Roboman Hakaider from 1995, 
which I haven't seen, but I've, I've noticed on shelves many times. It's another one of these sort of uh, hero in armor or robot uh, gear battles evil. All right. Well, you might have already guessed from the way we've been talking about it so far. This is not really one of those movies where it will make much sense to go scene by scene since there really is very little plot. It is mostly a showcase for for visual spectacles, you know, uh, sci-fi tech battles, tentacle attacks, monster transformations and and so forth. Uh, but we can give you a general picture of the shape of the the plot and then talk about some highlights that we really enjoyed. And uh, the first highlight, I would say, is actually the very first thing in the movie. Strong, mm-hmm. strong opening sequence. Uh, Might have been my favorite part of the entire thing. And interesting connections throughout this opening sequence to the Sautokar, because you have the, uh, this background of deep chants as if, you know, the moon monks are, are doing matins. Mm-hmm. But then also you have space marines in these egg-shaped EVA helmets, much like the uh, uh, like the like they're shown in the most recent Dune movie. Yeah, yeah. So they're 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 clearly here, or, or I don't know if they're, they're here. They're there. They're somewhere, presumably in space, maybe on a spaceship or something. Space uh, station. Yeah. yeah, to stop Zayram, and ooh, they don't stand a chance. No. So what we see is a black and white silhouette of a creature who looks like a person wearing a wide brimmed hat, or perhaps somebody who has a large mushroom cap for a head. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to tell more than that because the person's in silhouette, uh, except when it pauses to suddenly reveal a face, but not with the correct proportions for like a human face. So it's not a face that would fill what is presumably this creature's head. It's like a little tiny face. And mm-hmm. uh, the, it's in this pale makeup that looks kind of like a mask from no theater, but with super nasty black teeth, like v- very scarified. Yeah, and it and when we zoom in on it, it often makes little noises, kind of like mm-hmm. yeah, Ugh. stuff like that, which adds to the creepiness. But then, okay, so it it when we see the face, the face is not proportional to the size of the head; it's much smaller. It's like a little cameo, uh, you know, a little little tiny uh, face on this big head with the with the wide brimmed hat. And then it is the body of this creature looks like it is wearing some kind of uh, fibery cloak. You know, it's like it's got mm-hmm. a big kind of ragged cape. Yeah, like it's been uh, it's been tromping through humanoid realms, and so it has taken on the guise of human clothing. Um, and, it, and I think it adds to sort of the the category confusion of of this monster. Like, what is it? Is is the thing and it, the little face on its hat? Is that? Is there like a some sort of a hybrid or I mean or at least a symbiotic relationship going on here or is that the face of the thing uh, is you know it's wearing clothes so does it is it cultured is it a or is it just a brute beast there's so many questions that rise to the surface yeah so the space marines unload their pulse rifles on on the monster but to no avail the the sombrero creature slaughters them all and and escapes whatever uh wherever it is this opening takes place i imagine it's supposed to be some kind of exo prison and we see in the very opening scene that it has a kind of xenomorph like stabbing uh jaw to face attack that i think is done by that little tiny face on its hat mm-hmm. but a lot of this action is taking place in it like kind of extreme close-up uh, th- this is a film that likes close-ups at times that feel like a little bit too much. Like I felt like you could you could pan out on that row of weapons, and I would I would maybe get more out of the scene. But fair enough. 
Okay, but next thing after the intro, we go to meet our main characters, who are all going about their business somewhere in modern-day Japan. So we meet our bounty hunter. This is Iria, and she is very on target. She's very on task. She will stop at nothing to capture or kill the hat beast. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember if they explained this anywhere in the movie, but she looks human. Uh, but I think she's supposed to be from another planet, right? She's not like a human who secretly went to space and became a bounty hunter because this is not understood, as far as I can tell, to take place in the future or anything when humans mm -hmm. have gone into space and some of them might be space bounty hunters. Right. She is, I guess, what we might loosely think of as a space human, which mm -hmm. I, which to a certain extent is kind of a the legacy of... Um, of budget constraints on sci-fi yeah. from various cultures and uh, film cultures and, you know, in various decades where, yeah, you just can't have a, a crazy looking alien for everybody. Some of them got to be human. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's something that's fleshed out more in the sequel or the TV series, but she is, we're never given any glimpse that like, Oh, she may look human, but her blood is blue or purple. No, she's right. She just seems to be a, um, uh, a, a human who happens to have this job and, and maybe, I don't know. It's one of these things we're not supposed to think about too much, I guess. Right. It's, it's plan nine from outer space. The, the right. aliens just look human, except they're wearing a shiny shirt. Yeah. But, uh, well, but, but the other possibility I was considering again, I don't think they ever said this, but I was like, well, I wonder if she's like doing, I don't know, assuming the appearance of the dominant life form on this planet. Oh yeah, uh, wasn't that one of the elements in Critters where we had we had alien bounty hunters in that, but they ended up looking like people, but they weren't people. That could be. Yeah, my Critters knowledge is abysmally low, so as we <laughs> we've uh, threatened a few times, we may have to to break the uh, the Critter seal on the show. Yeah. It's just hard to choose. I don't know. I've, we've we've talked about it. I think off mic before, but each Critters movie offers its own. Uh, alluring uh, choices i mean do you go with critters one i think what well, is that the one uh, or maybe it's the sequel that leo Di leonardo dicaprio is in it uh but then by critters, the third one is that the third one okay i don't well i don't know two or three perhaps but then you have a pretty good cast in the first one and then by part four you have uh brad Dorif showing up so i don't know there's so many directions to go and then of course there are roly-poly alien creatures in, in all four of them uh, some some wonderful Gromlin action. Yes. Okay, so you got Iria. She's the main hero. She's uh, she's the bounty hunter. But then you've got Iria's got to have a sidekick, right? Sort of the nerd who does her her computing for her. And in the case of this movie, uh, you know they're not going to just go another humanoid who who acts kind of nerdy and does computing. They actually have a talking computer. It's just an AI sidekick who constantly explains to the viewer what is happening yeah yeah bob the ai which i think one of the reasons i like this is this 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 alone and i'm not comparing this movie to ian m bank's culture series but in those in those novels you'll frequently have a have an individual who's often a member of the culture and they have um, they have an ai that they're they're talking to all the time and they're having little conversations and disagreements and so forth so this felt you know not to say that this was even you know remotely inspired by it it's a pretty you know i think common idea regarding science fiction uh but it, it made me think of that a little bit though bob's got a little bit of personality bob is yeah. not just a you know purely giving the answers to you know he's not like a google search result like he, he's mm -hmm. got a, a some some thoughts of his own yeah yeah again he's he's very into making sure that they get to keep their license that that any weaponry or tactics that they employ that these are 
uh, they have the, the correct certifications that they're they're not going to get in trouble. So he's you know he's mm-hmm. very much um, uh, a very lawful mindset, and uh, Iria has more of a chaotic mindset. I'd say that's right. Yes. So Bob is sort of lawful, neutral, and Iria's kind of chaotic good. Yeah. Okay, but then the other two main characters are our power company guys, and uh, we mentioned them already, but you, you have Tepe, who is, uh, he's handsome, sweet, shy, earnest. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't have a lot of notes on Tepe. He's just kind of like, oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah. But then the other one you've got is Camilla, who seems a little bit older, um, and he is our fidgety clown, he, <laughs> he, but he ends up really coming through in a pinch at the end of the movie. Uh, and early on, Camilla has a near meet cute with Iria, the bounty hunter, because she seems to be buying hundreds of apples and she drops mm-hmm. one in the street and then Camilla picks it up out of the gutter and tries to run after her. But, uh, I don't think they ever come face to face. Not at that point, but of course, later on they meet right. and he's like, ah, oh, it's the woman from the street. Though I don't know what the purpose of that is like that, that opening sequence. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I saw you before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this movie, especially early on, is very heavy on techno babble. There is a long scene with Iria and Bob just discussing <laughs> regulations on the technology they use. Uh, the, like the main thing I think you need to understand is the concept of a zone. And so there, there's a, a long scene where Iria and Bob are talking about the idea of a zone. Uh, here's my best interpretation of how it works. So. Iria and Bob know that the monster Zayram is headed toward earth and they know that it will crash land at roughly a given place at a given time and they get there before it. So in order to capture Zayram with as little risk as possible, Iria and Bob make an alternate dimension copy of the city district where Zayram is going to land mm-hmm. and then somehow get him to land there instead of in the regular dimensional place. And this alternate dimension city district is known as a zone. It's like surrounded by invisible walls and it's just like a regular city, except it has no people in it, except whoever teleports into that using Iria's transporter. And apparently you collect a reduced bounty if you, quote, use a zone, but you got to do what you got to do. Ultimately, I, I like this aspect of the movie. Like, it adds an extra little wrinkle to it. Um, and I'm not sure how much of it is them wanting to do something cool with kind of like, oh, they're not battling the alien just on the streets. They're battling it in this strange shadow zone. Or mm-hmm. if it's kind of like, well, if they're battling in the zone, we don't have to have any extras or worry about why the police aren't showing up. Right. So most of this movie just takes place in the zone. So like you say, there's no need for extras. And there was one scene where they cut back to the regular world and they show like the people that the electricians were supposed to be partying with later that night hanging Mm -hmm. out and like they're not there, but they're like, oh, I don't miss them. I don't care that they're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was strange. Oh, but by the way, I should ask at this point, did you watch, we both used the same Blu-ray copy on this. Mm -hmm. Did you do dubbed or subtitled? Subtitles. You did subtitles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because, so I, I did the thing where I wasn't sure, because sometimes there's a drastic difference between mm-hmm. subtitles and, uh, uh, and and the dub on films like this. So I did the thing at first where I had both going on, and I was, you know, you kind of like trying to split my head um, by following uh, both and seeing like which one was the way to go. And I quickly decided, okay, there doesn't seem to be a tremendous difference. Maybe the subtitles are a little tighter, 
uh, but I don't think I'm missing out on a lot of plot if I just go ahead and, uh, and, and, and employ the dub instead. I mean, it always varies by case, but I think in general, dubs are a great option for like silly movies, B movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I, I think, you know, I gravitate more towards subtitles if it's like the, there are real strong dramatic performances by the original actors yes, and you kind of want to yeah. hear their original tone and things, even if you don't understand the language uh, and, and just rely on the subtitles for the, for the semantic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in a monster movie, I, I think dubs are great. Okay, well, uh, we'll come back to this because uh, there'll be two points where I want to know if you have a different understanding of what was occurring based on the subtitles versus my understanding via the dubs. Oh, oh, but we didn't finish talking about the zones because yeah, the let's other get back thing, in the zone, back in the okay, zone. right. So the, the one last thing with the zone is like you can't just walk into or out of a zone. Like a zone, again, it's an alternate dimension. It's surrounded by invisible walls. And you have to have some kind of teleporter device that Iria has set up in her command center in an empty warehouse in order to teleport in and teleport out. And multiple times in the movie, these teleporting devices get broken, and that prevents somebody from going one way or the other. But okay, Iria and Bob are discussing zones, discussing bounties, discussing regulations and technology. Meanwhile, uh, Tepe and Kamiya, our, our power company guys are trying to finish all the jobs they've got left on their list for the day uh, because at least one of them has a date that they need to get to. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. What, I think it's Kamiya. Um, or maybe both of them do. Anyway. But I think Tepe has an actual date date, and oh, Kamiya yeah. is just, like, hanging out at the bar. Kim, right? Yeah. Kamiya needs to go hang out with people who don't actually like him. Yeah. Um, so one job that they have to deal with before they can finish up for the day is that somebody is stealing electricity. Mm. Uh, so they are called to the location where this, this is allegedly happening. They arrive at a warehouse where somebody has rigged up a bootleg power line coming off of the, the pole. And instead of just cutting the line, they have to go into the warehouse to investigate. And lo and behold, it's, it's the command center. It's full of weird blinking, beeping gizmos. Time to start touching stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's just put our hands all over this. Uh, long story short, the two electricians accidentally get teleported into the zone along with Iria. Zayram arrives, and this leads into the rest of the movie, which is just one long chain of fights, chases, monster attacks, and monster transformations. Yeah, all in kind of dreary, mostly dreary-looking industrial locations that you know fit the zone and, and fit this style of movie. Though there is mm-hmm. also a wonderful-looking, I think it's a playground, like a really modern, hmm, um, yeah, like early '90s Japanese playground. I, I didn't look this up to try and figure out where this was, but um, it looks really cool. I, I, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I want to, I want to head there. I want to play on that. Yeah. <laughs> And so from here on out, I think because it's just sort of fights and chases and transformations, uh, maybe we can just focus on highlights. Uh, mm. The first big fight between Zayram and Iria is great. It involves energy weapons, ballistic weapons, strange traps. Like uh, Iria has all these different kinds of traps. Like one shoots out all these tethers that wrap up the monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is like it shoots up these spikes that surround the monster. And uh, yes, they're like metal spikes. And I think it has to like bend them down. But then the it also has hand-to-hand fighting. Iria has the the full gamut of bounty hunter skills. So it seems like she is a trapper first and foremost and she likes using this device that encases someone within like a giant uh crystal but yeah. then when a fight breaks out she throws down 
Yeah, she, she does have a wonderful array of sort of Mandalorian-esque or Predator-esque uh, weaponry, mm. you know, all the, all the various bells and whistles. But of course, Zaram has his own tricks, and one of them, one of the weirdest ones mm-hmm. I thought, was that he throws out these bioprisms that like hatch open and then release these creatures, these weird googly-eyed critters that look like a cross between Final Stage Brundlefly <laughs> E.T. and the baby from the 90s puppet sitcom Dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's one, he, he patches multiple of these things. Again, it's like a, it's like a little sea, organic seed pod looking thing. And yeah. when it breaks open, it kind of like, ra- like whatever's inside rapidly grows and mutates into this kind of uh, squat goblinoid creature that r- runs around and squeeze and stuff. Uh, there's one that pops up later on that has three faces and not just one, and the faces kind of remind one of the the baby masks from Brazil. And they make a kind of noise too, don't they? Yeah, like they're, yeah. They're these kind are of a not squee noise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are not. Uh, they're not doing you know heavy heavy booted martial arts like Zayram is. They're just sort of going like and like running at the <laughs> at the heroes. Yeah, it's almost like he's he's weaponizing some other technology. Like like th- these things are mostly just distractions. They're not they're not going to really make a huge tactical difference he's not hatching like elite hunter killers They're, these are not his hunting dogs these are just like blithering uh clone goblins that uh you know are, are just there to cause a distraction agreed yes but i love uh, them. yeah i i like them too and there's a number of them throughout the movie uh th- there was one part though i thought it was funny where the electricians are figuring out what's going on and um i think iria says to them uh, at least this was how it was in the subtitles. She goes, don't you get it now? We're in an alternate dimension. And then one of the electricians goes, you're right. <laughs> now, one of my favorite sequences in this um occurs uh i want to say you know more or less halfway through the film uh you know we've already had uh, the the initial battle with zayram then we get this scene where where you know zayram has a run-in with our two humanoid uh, characters and i think at this point it's been established that the humans are on their own in the zone and uh Iria has been like ejected from the zone and can't get back in due to like gadget reasons right yeah, the transporter breaks or something. Yeah, so this is where it gets fun because we know she can hold her own against Zayram and right. and and effectively capture Zayram. But then she gets booted. Uh, our, our two human characters mess things up, accidentally free Zayram, and Zayram has to figure out what he's going to do. And so uh, we have Zayram still in this uh, his this form of this hulking bioweapon, you know, clothed in this uh, shroud and having this you know, large hat like head. Um, we already know that he can rapidly grow grotesque goblinoids to do his bidding. And in a previous scene, he used that uh, the, the mouth or um, the, the, the face on the, on the hat. It kind of came out like a tentacle, and it bit one of the human's arms. Cameo, yeah. Yeah, uh, like tore off a bit of skin. So, ah, it has a tissue sample. So we go to this scene where it's just Zayram alone in this, um, this in, you know, open industrial space. 
and he removes the the cloth from his mouth region and he spits up one of these he kind of like you know uh, flexes his muscles uh strains spits up one of these seed pods but instead of throwing it and letting it hatch he crushes it in his big muscular hand and some sort of clone slime drips out of it pulls up on the ground begins to bubble and rapidly grows into a kind of half-formed clone of of Kamiya, uh, or at least the the head, uh, uh, one arm, and part of the torso just laying there in a, a pile. And it's really grotesque and wonderful. It mostly just spits up clone goop, uh, mm-hmm. but he, uh, but but then uh, Azirium seems to word sort of wordlessly question this uh, thing, and then the goblin clone responds with kind of alien gibbering and also a little more oozing of clone goo from the mouth. And then satisfied with all this, Zerium then crushes the goblin clone underfoot. I absolutely love just the alien weirdness of this whole scene. Um, One of these scenes where there are no humans at all. It's just monsters doing monster things and having some sort of conversation that we can scarcely understand. Now, this is one of the one scenes I would say if somebody was thinking about showing this movie to a very little kid, I, I don't know. This one's pretty grotesque and, yes. and kind of, and it's kind of pathetic the way the creature is like, no. And Zayram's just like done with you and then squashes him. <laughs> now, did this have subtitles in your version? No, it didn't. Okay. Excellent. I, that's good. I would be disappointed. Uh, first of all, if I missed out on this, co- the, the details of this conversation, but I ultimately like not knowing, like as a human viewer, we're just completely cut out on the details here. Like what is he just saying? Hey, where did that guy go? And he's like, Oh, he's over there. I was like, all right, good squash. Uh, but maybe he's getting more information about the planet. I'm not sure. It's just, it's, it's a lovely scene. This, I believe is the scene that I saw on television and it just stuck with me because it was just so strange. Yeah, this is a great one. They, they push the weirdness past 11. It's uh, <laughs> it's off the charts here. Another thing that stuck with me was, uh, I think, I wonder if you agree, there's a part in this movie that I think is a direct homage to aliens, because yes. <laughs> there is a scene where they're... Uh, uh, they're fighting with Zayram, and then suddenly it pans over to reveal somebody coming in to save that. I think Tepe is being threatened, but then it pans over, and here's Kamiya driving an excavator. He's working yes. some heavy machinery with, and I think it's like framed and staged with the same kind of lighting and stuff as when Ripley comes out in the power loader fight at mm-hmm. the end of Aliens. W- would you yeah. agree? Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like that's where they're going to go. Oh, we're going to. We're going to have kind of a ripoff of that scene where it's going to be Bulldozer versus Zerium. But then it ultimately ends up being for comedic payoff, right? Because doesn't Zerium just sort of like swat the bulldozer and turns it over? Zerium, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and then and then uh, Kamiya just runs for it. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I, I like that. Ultimately a successful scene. If they'd, gone, if they'd actually had it be kind of this fight, which I think they've done. Didn't they do that in Carnosaur? Doesn't a bulldozer fight a dinosaur in Carnosaur? Oh, yeah. Somebody gets into like a, a bobcat or something. One of those yeah. smaller, uh, one of those little, I don't know what you call those, smaller bulldozer, little mini yeah, dozer. N- nobody wants to see that. I mean, Ripley did it best using a space bulldozer suit. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to see just a normal bulldozer fight a dinosaur. Now, I have another question for you, Joe, regarding um, dubs and subtitles. Uh-huh. Uh, Okay, so a large part of this film is that the humans are trapped in the zone with Zayram. Uh-huh, yeah. And then Ineria is stuck on the outside. Uh-huh. Okay, but then the humans get in trouble with Zayram, and then Iria jumps in and saves them, saves the day. Yeah. And I don't, uh, if, if it was established how she was able to do that, I missed it. 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. I, I, I know what you're talking about, and I don't mm-hmm. remember. I think they must have fixed it somehow, and then they just, like, don't show her teleporting or something. It's like, oh, here she is. You know, Bob got Bob got it all put together. <laughs> okay. but she, It's ultimately not that important, but... No, no, no. But, the, yeah, there, there's some gaps like that. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of what Iria and Bob are doing later on is they're like trying to put together like the super cannon or something, or trying to get permission to use it or something. Yeah, there is some question from Bob, especially if they have authorization to use the super weapon. Uh, and then they have to get it there. And then once it's there, it has to be assembled. And clearly, our electricians are not quite up up to the task. Uh, mm. So Iria has to, has to slap it together. And it's a pretty cool weapon when she fires it off. Though I like some of the more uh, low tech fighting you see that the you see the electricians doing because and I think we're going to talk about the monster transforming into different stages in a minute. But at one of its stages, it's attacking the two electricians and they just start piling furniture on top of it, which I thought was very <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah. There's another scene where I want to say that the monster is either thrown into or throws somebody else into one of uh, you know your your just go to set pieces in a film like this. Uh, a wall of cardboard boxes. <laughs> yes, they're clearly empty. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, one of the, the this is a film about the monsters, uh, about the monster itself here. And one of the the great things about it is that it goes through multiple stages. Again, like you said, uh, this is a film where behold, my true form happens again and again. Yeah. So we have stage one Zerium, which we've largely described, clothed, hulking, humanoid warrior. And in, in my opinion, this is uh, Zayram at his best. Uh, I, and I'm realizing here, I may be saying Zerium at times instead of Zayram. <laughs> it's um, okay. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I, I think, I think Zayram, uh, the, the Tennessean uh, uh, version, is correct. Um, anyway, this, this primary look, primary Zayram, tremendous clothing accessory options, numerous bioweapons, really comes off well. But then eventually Zayram gets blasted and we get stage two Zayram, which is a skeletal multi-limbed walker. And this one's a lot of fun because it's a stop motion effect, which Mm -hmm. obviously has limitations in a film like this. It even has limitations uh, when it's done especially well, like in a Ray Harryhausen or like RoboCop 2 uh, but, it, but, but, you know, generally examples of really well done integration of live action and stop motion. Uh, yeah. But still, the monster looks great in this. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, uh, it's it's sort of a mix of an insect and like a mammal skeleton. Yeah, multi-limbs lashing around. Pretty fun. But eventually that gets blasted too. And we're off to stage three Zayram, which it had been established earlier that only the head is important. I think they literally say hat. Just the hat. Okay. So they're like, just worry about the hat. So (laughs) call it the hat. (laughs) At this point, Zayram is reduced to just that hat, shroom cap, stingray thingy, and it flies around, floats around, you know, kind of looking like a rubber bat on a string. Uh, It reminds me a lot of a lot of various flying uh, kaiju monsters. Yes. Uh, So maybe less compelling, but very much expected. I feel like maybe a kaiju movie that we watched for this show had a monster that could transform into something that looked like this flying mushroom cap or stingray thing. Mm. Was it the Godzilla movie? Was it? Did the pollution monster have a uh, flying stingray form? Hmm. It might I don't have. Remember. Hmm. Anyway, they they eventually capture the stingray hat thing. They get it uh, sealed up in its crystal, but of course, it gets out of that as as well. Um, Again. 
and uh, and then we get one last pretty great transformation where the the hat is like upside down and a whole bunch of like mutation stuff starts boiling out of it a very um john carpenter's the thing-esque transformation and then it transforms into this the thing-esque abomination which uh, this was, I guess, the logical place to go. Like at this point, Zayram is backed in a corner. It's just going to mutate a bunch and just lash at you with a bunch of tentacles and teeth and mouths and so forth. I feel like this incarnation of Zayram was maybe a bit ambitious, and the full monster comes off a little stiff here. But it's still it's still pretty cool. Well, it has uh, at this point though. It is also because it has incorporated some human DNA from Camia, I think it has like little human body parts coming out oh, of it. Yeah, it's got like a, nipples and stuff. Yeah. There's, it looks like there, there might be a boob on it. Yeah. Uh, but not, not in a way that like is distressing, I, I guess just kind of like, Oh, I guess that's supposed to be a human breast. Oh yeah. That, okay. Now that would have been an interesting way to go if it had taken, uh, Camia's form as the <laughs> final form. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if it had gone full, like they just made a clone of him, but a defective one. Oh, you know what would have been another great ending? Uh, they should have done this. Uh, I know we we squashed the Kamiya um, half clone earlier, but wouldn't it have been great for like a post-credit sequence where it's Kamiya's uh, friends at the bar, uh, but the clone has shown up to hang out with them, and it's like oh, hanging yeah. out at the bar and has a drink, but it's still like spitting up clone goo. So they're in the middle of talking about how they don't miss Camia and they don't mind that he couldn't make it. But then he does show up and he's just bleeding goo everywhere. And they're yep. like, oh, hey, we, we were just talking about you. Yeah, titters in an alien voice and they just don't yeah. notice. A couple more things that I thought were interesting about the ending. One is that in in the end, uh, Camia has to come through and save the day by using electrician knowledge. Yes. Like he, he has to repair the wiring, I think, multiple times in order to, uh, I don't know, power up the, the device they're using to defeat the monster in the end. Yeah, this is really great. And it made me wonder, not enough to actually watch it, but in the Super Mario Brothers movie, did the Super Mario Brothers end up using their plumbing skills to save the day against oh, I uh, don't know. Dennis Hopper? That, that would be a good twist. Yeah. It's been I've so seen long it since and I, I don't remember. That. <laughs> that movie's weird. That's a contender for the show. That is a strange film. I, I cannot imagine that the Chris Pratt Mario Brothers remake is going to uh, really equal or, or you know, excel in creating the same kind of weird uh, cinematic experience. Wait, is Chris Pratt playing Mar- Su- Mario, Super Mario? That is what Seth, I believe, was telling us the wow. other day. Okay, yeah. so they went from Bob Hoskins to Chris Pratt. Yeah, well. It's it's a it's a different different take on the uh, on on the the source material. Okay. Oh oh no! One last thing. Final comment about the movie. I like how it ends with a graduation photo. Yes. <laughs> Why? I don't know. All the humanoids. So after the monster is defeated, Iria, Camia, Tepe, they're like, "Hey, let's all pose for a photo." And Bob just like they, they stand together and pose, and Bob takes their picture, and then it's like best friends, friends forever. It's so wholesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this is not this is not a film that uh, is going to really hit you with a lot, of, a lot of mysteries and intrigue and double crosses and so forth. Uh, the plot's pretty simple. The payoffs are pretty much everything you'd expect. Uh, but wonderful, weird monster. And I, I think this is one of those films, kind of like Pumpkinhead to a certain extent, is you see action figures and costumes and fan art depicting the monster. Like the monster has really sort of... Uh, 
is, is really kind of more popular than the film itself, to, it, or it seems mm. to be the case. Mm, yeah, that would make sense. Now, uh, a little credit where credit's due here. When I first started poking around for places to watch this film, I could not find Zayram anywhere. I think Zayram 2 was available as a streaming option or a, you know, or at least a digital purchase ob- option. And the anime spinoff TV series was also available that way. Uh, but it looked like I was going to have to obtain a physical copy for sure. So I inquired with the good people at Atlanta's own Videodrome video rental store uh, about it. And they said, sorry, we don't have a copy. But then they wrote me back and said, actually, we just ordered a copy of it. Uh, we've ordered the 30th anniversary Blu-ray. And so uh, that came in and that's how we got to watch it. It's, a, it's I think, a solid Blu-ray release from uh, Media Blasters. It includes a couple of trailers and also a making of feature that I believe popped up on a, a previous Laserdisc edition. Ooh, oh man. Can you imagine the experience of watching this on Laserdisc? Yeah. I watched part of the making of video, um, but it's it's pretty bad. Like they're talking to the director and, and the star and the director's like, I, I, I wanted to make a film that was fun. So making a fun film was my primary, <laughs> my primary goal here. <laughs> okay. uh, so it was, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some more de- uh, in-depth uh, stuff about the effects later on. But anyway, if you live in Atlanta, uh, you can certainly go to Videodrome and rent the same Blu-ray disc that we watched it on. You can also check out Videodrome at uh, VideodromeATL.com. And if you want to get some of their merch, and they have a lot of cool merch, you can go to Videodrome.tv. So thanks again to the guys at Videodrome for hooking us up with our Zayram. All right, if you want to check out more Weird House Cinema, it happens every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We're primarily you know, science and sometimes culture or sometimes philosophy podcast. Uh, you know, primarily science, though. Uh, but on Fridays, we set most of, most of that aside and we enter the zone where there's nothing to worry about except for maybe a strange monster and some uh, you know, questionable acting performances, that sort of thing. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 